Welcome to Living With AI, a podcast where we look at how artificial intelligence is changing our lives and what impact it's having on us. Today, we're looking at AI and audio. So I'm joined today by Jennifer Williams, Assistant Professor at the University of Southampton, and she's been leading a task project titled The Next Big Thing in Trustworthy AI, Co-Design of Context-Aware Trustworthy Audio Capture. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Uh, well, just before we uh, get chatting, um, today is well, the day we're recording today is the 6th of September 2023. So keep that in mind, you know, if you're listening to us way into the future, sitting in your, you know, hover car and, uh, you know, wondering um, whether th- what we're saying is relevant or not, it may well not be. So anyway, um, back to the main point of today. Um, Jennifer, c- can we just have a, yeah, let's have a sort of pre or an overview of the project. What what was it you were trying to achieve or is it still happening? Tell us, tell us about it. Well, the project is wrapping up now, um, and what we've done is we've uh, formulated a survey that we distribute to people in the general public, including uh, industry tech makers, uh, as well as artists who use audio as an artistic medium. And in that survey, we explore people's perception about their rights, uh, their privacy preferences, issues of security, and just a whole array of different issues uh, related to audio AI. What sorts of things are coming up? I mean... Um, when I think of audio and AI, the the most obvious thing is kind of our voice assistants and and this kind of persistent myth. Hopefully, it's a myth that they're listening to us all the time when you know really they're probably just waiting for a watchword or a wait word. Um, is that the source of things we're talking about here? Sort of. So that's one of the most commonly known types of audio AI, in part because it's on our mobile phones and also in the home with, for example, Alexa. Uh, But actually, audio AI is uh, a very wide range of different types of technologies, many of which have not yet been made into products and that are in the research and development stages. Um, These range from all kinds of things like um, use voice cloning technology to help people who cannot speak due to a disability or an injury uh, to have a voice uh, that's reconstructed so they can communicate. It also includes technologies like hearing aids, to help people from the deaf and hard of hearing communities. Uh, and for artists, uh, this can involve things like converting spoken words, like I'm saying now, into singing. I've used some AI with my work uh, in audio and video editing. Um, there are some amazing AI tools that can um, basically take away noise from sound, as I'm sure, you know, I'm teaching grandma to suck eggs telling you telling you this, but, you know, I can have recorded something near, I don't know, a waterfall and the horrible noise of the water is drowning out what someone's saying and click this button and, and it's incredible what you can reconstruct um, these days. Um, but when we're thinking of the trust with the autonomous system, so obviously trust is the is the question. So this is this is um, what you've been looking at, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, what people's rights are, trust, privacy. Um, how does that kind of come into some of those technologies you just talked about there? Well, the example you gave earlier about um, a device that's always listening, that's actually a really great example. On the one hand, it makes the device easier for people to use, especially hands-free, when it's listening for a wake word. Uh, On the other hand, a lot of people feel like they might be surveilled and they have concerns about whether or not devices are recording their conversations. Yeah, you often find people say, oh, I was talking about, I don't know, potatoes, and then suddenly an advert for potatoes came up, and um, I'm sure it was listening to me. And often, well, I'd like to think these are usually coincidences, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and that actually depends on the product. Uh, Each manufacturer has different terms of agreement. One of the questions in our survey we ask is whether or not people read those 
uh, principles that they agree to when they use the service. Uh, certain most people don't. They just take the I agree. Let's get going. Come on. Come on. <laughs> You're keeping me waiting here. Um, I, I noticed in some of the um, documentation about the project you've been working on that there was talk of um, people who have impairments, visual or, or um, hearing impairments. How does AI help them with or, you know, AI audio help? these uh, you know members of the community well there's different types of technology that can help people uh, with that uh, need and one of them would just be simple noise cancellation like you mentioned a little bit earlier where you can reduce background noise uh, for example static noise or uh, the AC on a, on a uh, phone call um, but for the deaf and hard of hearing community specifically they need a technology called speech enhancement um, now, speech enhancement is a little different from just turning up the volume and making it louder. That's what traditional hearing aids do, and they're not always effective because sometimes when you amplify the sound of the voice, you're also amplifying the noise. So these technologies can become really complex because we need to suppress certain types of noise while enhancing the speech in a way that people can understand better, hear better. The other side of this where um, I've, I wondered if perhaps this also came into was was turning sounds into text or into, you know, something that's, you know, tokenized kind of things that a computer can understand. Is that part of what you've been looking at or is that on the other edge? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's another technology that helps people uh, who can't hear. So in our survey, one of the questions we ask is about an imagined scenario where uh, there's a group of people and someone has a device that they use for medical purposes. And that device uh, not only can enhance the speech of people, but can also transcribe the words that they say uh, so that they can then read the transcript later if they need to. Uh, and we ask in our survey how people feel about that, whether or not they're concerned that their words might be taken out of context or transcribed incorrectly. And, and of course, you know, this kind of, it's similarly aligned to having a recording device, you know, a bug, as we might have seen in the films, isn't it? Because um, usually when you're having a conversation, you would, you sort of, it's kind of felt that you're in the heat of the moment slash it's not being recorded for posterity, unlike this podcast, um, that, that what you're saying is kind of transient or is ephemeral. But if it's actually being kind of taken down and possibly, like you say, and annotated or maybe incorrectly taken down, then that is a problem, isn't it? Or could be. Yeah, absolutely. And there is some evidence out there that people will speak a little differently when they know that they're being recorded or transcribed. Uh, this can, of course, cause some communication barriers and make the interaction less natural. Um, but to your point about um, having, like, for example, a bug that they can do this. Um, so this is also an issue for, for some people because uh, anytime we enhance speech, um, it has the potential to be misused. This type of technology could be misused if it's in the wrong hands uh, or used for nefarious purposes. Uh, for example, to overhear a conversation that was never meant to be overheard. Yeah, because audience is key here, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the 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 resounding kind of thing that the podcast keeps coming back to is is often the fact that context is really important and that AI uh, doesn't always get the wider picture. So is, does that become a problem with AI and audio as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I was thinking as well that actually I think pretty much every smartphone has the ability to, to turn what it's hearing into text and do live captioning and live translating, isn't it now? So, I mean, th these these things are in most people's pockets, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It seems like everyone has a camera and a microphone everywhere they go these days. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I, I suppose that can be problematic. But then everyone's just getting used to it. So perhaps uh, generations down the line that just won't even think twice about, you know, everything being recorded. Well, and I think that's, that's interesting because uh, we've sort of gotten used to having CCTV. Um, and some people are interested in equipping buildings with microphones in order to make smart buildings. Uh, for example, a smart building in the workplace where you can unlock your office door just with your voice when your hands are full. Uh, so, so that's an example. Um, or provide different kinds of services during meetings. Uh, for example, when people say, um, okay, building, start recording the meeting now, um, that, that could then start taking notes during a meeting uh, or, or analyze how people interact during the meeting and are people participating equally? Uh, is anyone left out? Um, so this idea of equipping buildings with microphones is controversial, but we have gotten used to having CCTV. So, and then people have Alexa in their home and, and on their smartphone, they have Siri and, and other voice services. So we think that this will be adopted more and more. We just want to make sure that um, the way that this technology is being developed takes into account different stakeholder opinions. This kind of idea of asking the building to do things for you, I mean, is completely doable now. I mean, I think we have three smart speakers in this house and actually the problem is I'll go onto the landing to ask one to do something and all of them respond. So, you know, I'm sure these are problems that can be, you know, tackled. Um, And we've been seeing this in science fiction for decades, haven't we? You know, Star Trek is a really classic example. Computer do this, computer do that, computer do the other. But it can be quite clunky, can't it? It, It's handy in certain circumstances, but sometimes it's easier just to press a button, isn't it? It can be, yeah. And and, um, we have to take into consideration the controllability that the users have, as well as passive bystanders. So just because I am consenting to my voice being used in a, in a smart building or a smart home doesn't mean that the visitors would also agree with that. So if I have a friend over at my home and I have an Alexa, a, a really interesting question is, do I have an obligation to let that person know that I have an in-home recording device? And this is one of the things we look at in the project. Well, it, it, it kind of ties in a little bit to my kind of other job, which is that I'm a videographer. So as a as a videographer, obviously, um, I'm very used to people not wanting to be on camera. And usually you're carrying quite a large device or a relatively obvious device of recording. And what's more, you can sort of see which direction it's pointing. OK, with a microphone, that's not always the case, is it? I mean, you, you know, you might be wearing an Apple AirPod or whatever they're called that's recording everything anyway, or potentially recording everything that, that you walk past. I mean, how many microphones must be sitting in on a tube carriage when you, you know, go in through central London, literally potentially recording everything. It, it's a, it's a quite a wider issue. I'm, I'm sorry, my long winded way of coming around to the point that often in venues that are doing recordings, they have to have notices and signs, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but individuals don't seem to have that same obligation. And it's interesting in our survey, some of our earliest results show that people are very concerned about their rights in these scenarios where they may be a passive bystander uh, getting recorded and with their audio uh, when they pass someone who's using such a recording device. But the catch is that people tend to change their mind based on the context of why it's being used. So we find that people are less apprehensive when they know that a person is using a medical device. Now that opens a whole nother set of questions as to whether or not people using medical devices must declare that 
because that also violates their personal privacy about their medical condition as well. Yeah, and I'm, I've just had a vision then of people walking around with lanyards, kind of you know, with some big sign on telling people what you know what they are or are not doing with whatever equipment they happen to be carrying. And as you say, there's it's fraught with uh, with problems, isn't it? And and just from a kind of from a more kind of mainstream point of view, we've heard of lots of politicians getting caught out by still having the radio microphones on and saying things that they think are not being heard. Just it just as you say, opening that up to every smart device, every person sat next to someone on a train carriage. It's massive, isn't it? It, it is massive. And there's so yeah. much audio data out there. Um, for example, I know there's videos of me on YouTube, so there's enough of my voice on the internet to probably create a deep fake at this point. And anybody in the public domain, including politicians, but also radio hosts and news broadcasters, anyone who has public data out there um, are somewhat vulnerable now to having deep fakes, which may violate their security or their privacy when we continue incorporating speech technology into areas like banking. So, so this, um, the deep fake side of it. So obviously this is, we haven't, we haven't quite touched on that yet, but that's the idea of effectively simulating someone's voice. And is that is that a viable technology right now? Yes, that's true. It is uh, simulating another person's voice or impersonating another person's voice. And the technology, um, whether or not it's viable, I think that's that's a question that's disputed because it depends on how we evaluate that circumstance. But we have seen in the news cases where people have tried to make uh, transactions over phone banking um, by impersonating the sound of someone's voice and then bypassing those security measures. And is that so, so that side of it, I'm not quite that aware of. So obviously I can imagine somebody in you know, it's, we've, um, we've been watching comedians do impressions of, of people, famous people for years, you know, I won't try and do any impressions here because I'm terrible at them. But um, imagining that that technology can do that. The flip side of that is, is voice kind of recognition that smart to be able to or supposed to be able to detect individuals' voices? Is that something that's already there as well? Yeah, so there, there's actually um, a technique that requires only three to five seconds of a person's voice in order to create a clone of that voice or a deep fake. Now, the sophistication of that deep fake is minimal, so it's enough to probably bypass certain uh, phone banking security protocols, but probably not enough to, for example, trick a person's mother into believing that, that they're real. So we all have different mannerisms and how we speak and different disfluencies, and all of those would go into a, a true deep fake, and those are really difficult to mimic. Um, but simple sentences or statements are absolutely possible. Um, but, but the the recognition side of it is the bit I'm not sure about. How what's that? What does that use? Is that just literally a it hears a lot of your voice and then thinks it knows what your voice should sound like? And I'm using very non technical terms there. Well, the the kind of uh, what we call speaker verification, where a speaker is a talker, uh, the kind of technology uh, that that is based on, for example, used in UK banks, um, creates a model of a person's vocal tract. So every individual has a unique uh, vocal tract uh, from their throat all the way up through their nasal cavity and this uniqueness acts like a fingerprint and the AI is modeling that uniqueness of an individual and that's how we can detect 
that a person is, in fact, a unique speaker. That is fascinating because I hadn't really thought that that was existing. I know that the smart speakers in our house have asked in the past for us to try and, you know, um, give it examples of how we speak so that it could identify us and therefore open, say, a specific calendar or something. But I, I thought it was uh, ropey at best. <laughs> I didn't realise it was an actual technology. Yes. So I was watching on the television last night um, a documentary about um, a former rugby player. He has M&D and is now able to use a voice generation, which to me sounded like what he sounded like. So is that something that other people could use? And how does that kind of work going forwards? So right now, this area of audio AI is not regulated. Um, So I don't have a, a good answer for that. I think some people can use their moral compass and say, um, maybe it's not right to reuse a person's voice without their consent. Um, so that that's a privacy issue. Um, but whether or not a reconstructed voice is genuinely unique is both a scientific question and a question for regulators. Because there's, there's obviously the potential to, and again, this comes back to what you were saying about if there's enough footage or whatever out there, there's a potential, as we said, to, to recreate anyone's voice from enough uh, recordings and then potentially also using, say, large language models, then you could potentially have some kind of simulated person in theory. Uh, it sounds quite science fiction-y, but yeah. There's... It does sound like science fiction, but Hollywood uh, has already done this with Val Kilmer's voice. In Top Gun, yes. Yeah, so in, in Top Gun, um, uh, Val Kilmer uh, had lost his ability to speak, and um, they reconstructed his voice based on... And I'm losing my voice. Um, they, they reconstructed Val Kilmer's voice uh, to, to allow him to appear in the movie and have speaking parts. Uh, there's also an example in Hollywood from Paul, uh, Paul Walker, I believe, in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, now, he died, uh, and they used bits of his voice from previous films as well as a family member with consent from the family to reconstruct his voice enough to finish one of the films. Now, it is a question of who is consenting to that, uh, whether or not the artist or the actor would have given his consent if he knew that was possible. We don't know, and we will never know. Uh, But now that we have this technology, uh, it it is a question that a lot of artists and actors and everyday people should consider about their voice data existing after they've passed away. And I think this is a really deep and philosophical question Um, But it also touches on issues of voice rights, um, voice intellectual property, um, and and the uniqueness of people's voice and really what that what that means. Um, Now, there may be the possibility that some people want to reconstruct a voice of a deceased family member and use a large language model to, for example, have conversations and uh, feel connected to that person that they've lost. But again, um, just because the technology is possible doesn't mean that it's something that should be created. And this is what we're exploring is what are the issues surrounding that and, and what can we do today to help prepare for that future? Audio feels like it's relatively new to the party with those kind of um, Hollywood techniques, but the the, the, visu- the visual side of it has been used even as far back as Gladiator, um, the 2000 Russell Crowe film, where 
Ollie Reed uh, died sadly during the production before they'd finished shooting his scenes and they did some digital face replacement even back in 1999-2000, 20-odd years ago. There have been quite a few films that have used images of Carrie Fisher... Um, various other people that have appeared um, Peter Cushing I think maybe appeared in one of the Star Wars movies anyway th- these people have been used but you know almost as a kind of cameo <laughs> it, it didn't feel like it was intruding it was just kind of almost wallpaper if, if that's not too um, um, uh, dismissive a way to put it but it, this the reason for me saying this is going to connect it into the fact that when we're when in my other job making videos the most important part of a lot of videos is the audio and it's the thing that people really have an emotional connection to and it's the thing that if it's lacking people will notice more so than picture quality in fact um ironically so so the fact that we're able to do this it, it is it is a huge kind of change it is a big change and we're we're coming to a very interesting intersection where we've talked about technologies that um, act as medical devices uh, in, re- in voice reconstruction, as well as deep fakes, which can be used as a form of misinformation, but also of free expression and humor and sarcasm and irony, right? Um, as well as um, you know, voice property. Voice property is probably the wrong term, but uh, voice-related rights posthumously. And all of these um, different technologies are not only just related, but some of the same algorithms, AI algorithms, are used to create these technologies. So um, I think it's important that the public, as well as researchers and government, um, really come together to think about what are we going to do about this? Because the landscape is changing quickly, and these technologies are not going away. They're only growing. It's going to be really interesting to see what's going forward. And as you say, I think education is very important there. People need to know what what's, what things are capable of, what, what technology is out there. Jennifer, I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been really great to hear your kind of side of things and, and learn a bit more about AI and audio. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this season of the podcast, um, one thing you might have noticed is it's very difficult to avoid the subject of robots whenever you're talking about AI. And you might just enjoy uh, a podcast that, that I really like, which is called Robot Talk. And here to talk about it today, we've got the producer and host of Robot Talk. It's Claire. Welcome to Living With AI, Claire. Hi, Sean. Great to meet you. So what do you do on Robot Talk? So, you know, just so people can get a sense of it. Sure. Um, so Robot Talk is a weekly podcast um, and we explore everything relating to robotics and intelligent machines. Um, so I chat to robotics experts from research, from industry uh, and beyond, um, find out about their work and uh, try and discuss a bit about the future of robotics. And it's accessible, is it? I'm not going to need a PhD in kind of mechanical engineering or something to understand what's going on. No, absolutely not. Um, I'm myself, I'm not a roboticist by training um, and I try and make robot talk jargon free. Um, I also take questions from listeners, so to try and make sure that we cover topics that you know people actually care about and want to hear about. Um, so yeah, Robot Talk is for everyone. That's superb, fantastic. So I'll put a link in the show notes. How can people find you if they're using podcast apps and things? Is that easy enough? Yes, yes. So um, you can find Robot Talk on all major podcast providers. Just try searching Robot Talk. Um, you can also check out our website, robottalk.org. Um, and we're on social media at Robot Talk Pod. 
Thank you, Claire, for joining us on Living With AI. Well, this is the last episode in this season of Living With AI. So hopefully we'll be back next year with a whole new season. But I know what I'll be doing, downloading plenty of episodes of Robot Talk to binge on in the meantime. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to the new season. If you want to get in touch with us here at the Living With AI podcast, you can visit the TAS website at www.tas.ac.uk, where you can also find out more about the Trustworthy Autonomous Systems Hub. The Living With AI podcast is a production of the Trustworthy Autonomous Systems Hub. Audio engineering was by Bordy Limited. Our theme music is Weekend in Tatooine by Unicorn Heads, and it was presented by me, Sean Riley. <laughs>